This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a Bravo podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, Real Lifers. Welcome to episode 119. I hope everyone had a safe Thanksgiving who celebrates the holiday and everyone is doing all right. I know a lot of cities and states are heading into kind of another wave of restrictions for COVID. And as of this weekend, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills pauses production because of COVID. So, Hope everyone is just staying safe. This week's episode in honor of Thanksgiving is going to be a little bit different. I have marriage and family therapist Alyssa Mass on to discuss marriages and families. A lot of you guys uh, spent this Thanksgiving with your families, and since it's such a family-focused holiday, I thought it'd be interesting to get her perspective on how Bravo shows And the housewives in particular showcase families, showcase marriages, relationships, and even therapy on TV. And it turns out that Alyssa used to share an office space with Jax's therapist from Vanderpump Rules. She is a real therapist, and they they film sometimes at that location. So that was kind of interesting to find out. It also turns out that Alyssa went to high school with Lydia from the Real Housewives of Orange County seasons past, who turns out to actually be my least favorite housewife in all of Housewives history. So we chat about that a bit. We also just talk about some overall ideas about women's worth being validated by men and how that was shown on Housewives in the beginning when almost all of the women were married and they focused on their kind of married lives, being mothers and all of that and how it's evolved over the years. So it's pretty interesting. But before we get to my conversation with Alyssa, I wanted to give you guys some thoughts um, that I had on this week's Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Real Housewives of Potomac, and just a very small bit on Orange County. So First of all, it turns out that Mormons are allowed to drink Diet Coke. I was totally wrong on last week's episode when I was talking with Hannah and that I thought that Mormons couldn't have Diet Coke because they couldn't have caffeine. But um, a listener actually wrote to me and said that in 2012, when Mitt Romney was on the campaign trail, he was caught drinking Diet Coke a lot. And 
actually the Mormon church had to clarify its position on caffeine itself. So it sounds like they don't actually have a position on caffeine, but rather coffee, tea, tobacco, and alcohol are considered prohibited. And since coffee and tea have caffeine, I think the idea was, you know, no caffeinated beverages, but that is not true. And it probably is why Lisa Barlow drinks so much Diet Coke and talks about it on the show. Because <laughs> I think she's the only very kind of more devout practicing Mormon on the show that we've seen so far. So a couple thoughts on this week's Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So I love Heather. I really think Heather Gay is fantastic. I appreciate how kind she is throwing this baby shower for her employees. And my heart was completely breaking when she talked about her divorce. And it was five years ago. And during that time, she really stopped taking pictures of her own family thinking that because it wasn't perfect, she somehow failed. And I really think she's caught in a tough spot because she was raised in this culture and in this religion where she tried to follow all of the rules perfectly. And even though she followed all of these rules and she was a devout Mormon and kind of sometimes even sacrificed her own wants and her own happiness for her family and for her faith, it landed her in a place that she felt was unfair. Her husband left her. And no one in the history of her or her husband's family going back four generations has ever been divorced. So the shame of that and the frustration and all of that guilt um, is kind of weighing heavily on her. And I, I really feel for her and I am rooting for her probably more than I've ever rooted for any other housewife. I've also seen on Instagram that her business Beauty Lab does scar removal and people who have been engaged in self-harm or who used to inject drugs and have scars as a result of that, they can actually get their scars removed for free at Beauty Lab. And I just think that is absolutely beautiful. Um, looking at Meredith's family, <laughs> her son Brooks is really something else. I really, I mean, we all know that he took off school so he could be on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and God bless, I commend him for that. I think he's trying to make himself more of a character than anyone really anticipated, and it was interesting to see when Jen Shaw came over to hang out with Meredith, Brooks and Chloe were there. And it feels like the two families are close friends or something like that. She joked that Brooks and Chloe feel like her own children. And I can't tell if Jen is truly close with Meredith or if she's one of those people that, I don't know, thinks she's closer with, with her friends than she really is. And I think something must have happened while she was over there that is much more than what we saw on the show where Jen was doing these high kicks and potentially revealed herself. And Brooks was very uncomfortable that she claims he saw Jen's vagina. I don't really know. All I know is I think there was more to what happened that night than what we saw on camera. And I'm hoping we find out either in the coming episodes or at the end of the season during the reunion. And it kind of weirds me out that Jen Shaw is so upset that Meredith, one, is spending time with Mary because Meredith is her own person and she can decide who to spend time with. And also that Meredith canceled her sleepover because her daughter was spending, it was her last time home before going back to college. And 
I don't know. She's like, well, what 18-year-old or what 19-year-old daughter wants to spend time with their mom? And I don't know. I'm someone who always used to like spending time with my mom. You know, I don't know. I think it's very unusual that Jen is so jealous and so upset about this. At the same time, it appears that Jen really is lonely and her husband travels a lot. And I'm very confused by this. So her husband is a coach for the University of Utah football team. I'm wondering how long is like this season of football where they're traveling all the time and how many nights a week is he actually gone? And why is he traveling so much? Is it just during the season or is he doing recruiting? I don't, none of it makes sense. And does he make enough money to support the Shaw squad, which is what she calls her staff? I mean, she, she was saying that her staff are kind of like her family. It seems like she pays people to be around her because she's lonely. It's it, the whole thing is is very um, I don't know unusual and confusing to me, and I'm just not sure what to make of Jen thus far. I just it doesn't feel as authentic as kind of some of the other women that we're seeing, including Whitney and Heather. And it was nice to see Whitney with her dad at Mary's church. Although, of course, we all know <laughs> that this at this point that the church has been accused of being a cult and that Mary has used church members money for her own plastic surgery and other things. But it was nice to see her church be so welcoming to Steve, Whitney's father, who has been battling with addiction, and then to also welcome Meredith, who's Jewish. And I just think it's really lovely to see people of different backgrounds and different faiths going to each other's religious services. I think it's really nice to see. Yes, I think Mary is kind of bizarre. All of the background that we saw on her this episode, I thought was really unusual. And the fact that she lost her relationship with her mother when she married her step-grandfather is just something else. You think if her mom opposed it, she wouldn't go forward with it. There's just a lot to unpack there. And then now she has the son who has his first girlfriend as an in-love and she wants her son to go to boarding school because she doesn't want this girlfriend around. And the jealousy that she seems to have for the girlfriend is just, I don't know, you could write plenty of, you know, thesis and papers on this relationship alone. Then, of course, we have the prohibition party, and we see a big fight brewing between Jen and Meredith, who next week we see she just kind of walks away and disengages. Jen is just freaking out that Meredith has chosen to be friendly with Mary over her, and I just don't understand. I don't know. I don't like this fight. I don't like when women get in fights, whether it be on the housewives or in real life over who is friends with who. You shouldn't get to dictate who your friends are friends with, and it shouldn't concern you that much. I think Jen is just very lonely and upset, and I also think she wants to create drama for the show. So I'm wondering, is this how she always acts, or is she acting this way because she knows she's being filmed? Then, of course, we have The Real Housewives of Potomac. And if you want to get all of my thoughts, you should listen to the podcast, It's All Happening with Amanda, from last week, where we break down this past episode of Potomac. But overall, I absolutely loved it. I know some people thought that the trip to Portugal was boring and there wasn't enough drama, but I really enjoyed all of the women getting along. And I don't know, it's fun. Of course, they had this very, very crazy uh, party where they all dressed as dominatrixes. And 
I really thought Candace had such an incredible outfit and she had a really good time with it. And it was fun to watch them all get along. It was kind of difficult watching Ashley like have to tell Candace that she made a statement statement for Monique to help Monique's um, legal case. And the statement was against Candace. That was really tough, but I really can see where everyone is coming from, you know, with this. So Ashley tells Candace about the statement and she says, I wanted you to hear it from me. I'm really worried of what will happen to Monique legally. And she's saying it won't hurt you, Candace. But Candace says, yes, it will. And Wendy is saying, you know, you're kind of doing this as revenge and you could have made a statement in favor of Monique, but instead it was against Candace. And it seems that like Robin, Giselle and Wendy are really siding with Candace. And then you've got Karen who is really just trying to be neutral and she's trying not to take sides. And just by not taking sides, she's being accused of supporting Monique only. And I think that's unfair. Now, we find out that Karen saw some of the legal documents from this case. And she saw that in Candace's statement, she said that she released glass on Monique in self-defense. Now, I think that because it was done in self-defense, you can't consider it as like an assault. I don't know legally what that means, but as soon as her hair was grabbed and her head was kind of pounded into the table, if she threw a glass or did anything, it was just to try and get out of that. So I I definitely don't fault Candace with it. But Karen seems to think that, you know, this glass was thrown and it hurt Monique and that may constitute assault. I don't know. We will see on the reunion how this all unfolds. But I, I don't know. I guess I see where everyone is coming from. I also understand Ashley, who wants to support her friend, who is afraid of her friend potentially going to jail. She doesn't know what could happen to Monique. And all of the things that Candace did to Ashley actually happened, and they're all on camera. So whether it was the incident with the butter knife, which while she never threw it, you know, her husband, Chris, had to really restrain Candace multiple times that evening. She was really out of control. And then, of course, Candace just did so many awful things to Ashley, including saying that her and Michael maybe weren't really sad about a miscarriage, accusing them of not really trying to get pregnant or wanting to have a baby. All of these things are really tough. And I don't think we should expect Ashley to just sort of get over them or want to have a relationship or a friendship with Candace as a result. She was being kind to Candace for the last, I don't know, half a season, but that doesn't mean that she has to forget all of the things that Candace did to her when Candace, I don't think, ever truly apologized from her heart for the horrible things that she said about Ashley last season and also the horrible things she said online. Of course, Candace breaks down crying and is saying how hard this is on her, that she's on anxiety medication. You know, she wakes up wondering what's going to come next. And my interpretation of all of this is that Candace is spending a lot of time online and she's getting bullied online. So she's on Instagram, Twitter, what have you. And there are all these people at this time last year who were defending Monique, assuming that Candace started the fight. We all know now that that's not what happened. But at the time, because of what Monique had said or what she had shared with some people, the narrative that was out there, especially in the D.C. area, was two of these women got into a fight and 
Candace threw a wine glass at Monique. And so she is having people go after her. And so I do feel bad for Candace for that. But all of that being said, I mean, I would hope that it would make Candace feel a little bit more compassion to others who maybe feel bullied online and not partake in hurting people online uh, the way that she has. But we all know that in the last year, she still goes after people online. And anyone that she thinks is attacking her or anyone who she disagrees with, she just goes for the jugular. And I just feel like it's really, really unfortunate. But I cannot wait for the Real Housewives of Potomac reunion. It is going to be amazing. I've heard it may even be a four-parter. And you know what? That is the reunion we deserve to end out this horrendous year. Now, finally, wanted to just give a couple thoughts on the Real Housewives of the OC. I know not everyone is watching it. um, But there was a headline uh, this week that Gina thinks that Bronwyn shouldn't be on next season, specifically because Bronwyn is going through a lot on her journey to getting sober in her marriage, all of these things, and maybe it's something that she shouldn't do on camera. Well, I don't know that Gina should be one to judge. She's living out a really awful divorce on camera and was involved in a situation of domestic violence where her ex-husband assaulted her and we're witnessing the aftermath of all of that on camera. You can make the same argument for her. I I commend Bronwyn for living this out on camera when it's not easy. I think it's giving people a lot of understanding and empathy to what it means to get sober and what it means to be an alcoholic and all of the complicated family dynamics and relationships that are involved in all of that. So I just feel like it's really unfortunate that Gina did that. Of course, this season, I am enjoying Gina because I feel like she's just being more herself. She's sharing what she really thinks. And for the last few episodes, she's been extremely kind to Bronwyn when not all of the women really have been very thoughtful. Of course, Gina is being sober at Bronwyn and Sean's um, vow renewal, you know, out of support for Bronwyn. Meanwhile, Shannon gets absolutely trashed, like completely trashed. I, I don't know if we've ever seen Shannon that drunk. And she's so embarrassing. She actually goes over and talks to Bronwyn and Sean's kids about her own vow renewal that she had with David and how a year later they got divorced. I mean, just (laughs) things not to say to people's children. My gosh, I'm sure it was obviously very triggering for Shannon to be at a vow renewal, you know, after what happened to hers. But I don't think that's something that is going to be made better by drinking tequila. (laughs) Of course, we also see Emily and Gina go with Bronwyn to an AA meeting at 6.45 a.m. And I really do think it's um, lovely that they try to support Bronwyn. Although, of course, it sounds like in real life now, none of them are speaking to Bronwyn and it all kind of falls apart. And I wonder how much coronavirus has to play with it. I wonder how much of it is like Black Lives Matter and disagreements on that. But we shall see. Of course, the next day, they're all sitting around the pool and they're talking about coronavirus. And it is frightening to hear what Elizabeth Vargas and others are saying, comparing it to the flu, just being complete conspiracy theorists about pharma wanting to make money off of a vaccine. I mean, all of the goodwill I had towards Elizabeth was basically erased by watching that. And then, you know, we find out also that Bronwyn's twins get lice. 
And you see a snapshot of the day before where Kelly is talking to the twins and then Kelly is worried about getting lice. And I'm just wondering like why Kelly is so afraid of getting lice from Bronwyn's kids. But for the last, I don't know, say nine months, we haven't really seen her have any fear of getting COVID. <laughs> like what is going on with Kelly? And then, of course, there's all of the storyline about Elizabeth Vargas's divorce. And she was married to a billionaire, and she wants to get something out of that divorce. And she has this relationship with the guy, Jimmy. But there's a lot of, I don't know, lying, I feel like she's doing to the women, saying they're not sleeping together because she's not legally divorced. But then they did, but then they didn't. And I don't know. I don't really see how Elizabeth's lies impact anyone, and I don't see why anyone would need to get to the bottom of it. Kind of like what happened with the Denise and Brandy of it all. Like whether or not Denise and Brandy ever hooked up really didn't, that lie didn't impact anyone. It was the things that Denise was saying about people behind their back. So focus on what you're really upset about with Elizabeth, not her relationship with Jimmy. And I don't know, I think because she's 45 and she doesn't have kids and she's getting divorced, she's upset that she gave up her potential chance on having children with her because her ex-husband didn't want kids. And then he leaves her and he is with another woman and they have a baby. And I think that's what's really hurting her. So since she didn't get a baby out of her marriage, she kind of wants to get money because that's all she can fight over. The whole thing is pretty dark and pretty sad. And I don't know, maybe Elizabeth should use all of her wealth and I don't know, get a bunch of foster kids and maybe adopt. Why not try that? So those are my thoughts for this week. I hope you guys really enjoy my conversation with Alyssa. She is fantastic. And stay safe, everyone. As always, you can follow me online at ITRL underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if you like the podcast, go and leave it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Alyssa Mass, um, who is a marriage and family therapist based in San Diego, California. And because it's Thanksgiving week, I thought it would be a good time to delve into some of the relationships and family dynamics that we see on our favorite network, Bravo. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So can How are just, you? I'm good. Can you explain kind of like what a marriage and family therapist is for those of us who yeah. aren't as familiar? Um, I So the shorthand is MFT. I always think it's a bit of a misnomer. Um, we're just psychotherapists. So that's just the title of the actual license. But we work with everyone. It doesn't mean we only work with like married couples and families. I work with tons of individuals. But um basically just psychotherapy. So if anyone doesn't know what that is, you can, you talk to someone, it's anonymous and confidential and you tell us all your secrets and you chat about them. I think therapy is a very wonderful thing and would <laughs> love to get your thoughts actually on how therapy is portrayed on Bravo. Cause you know, there's always like on every franchise and every, you know, in Vanderpump, you would see Schwartz go speak to a therapist. Yep. On Potomac, you see Ashley speak to her therapist. 
um, you know, you've got a lot of times where, you know, people have these public, you know, viewing. It just reminded (laughs) me, I totally forgot this. This is fine for me to say because it was on the show, but one of my colleagues was actually the therapist on Vanderpump for Jax, who I, and I shared an office with her. So I got a text from someone (laughs) being like, like a client texted me and was like, this is really weird to ask you, but is that your office that I just saw on Bravo? It's like, I totally forgot until you just asked me that. But So you yeah. shared an office space with Jax's therapist. I did, yes. What <laughs> was that like? I mean, I never like saw him and she's lovely and wonderful and, you know, a great therapist. But it was so funny to then see her on the show. I didn't watch. I was like a latecomer mm-hmm. to Vanderpump. So... I think I heard she was going to be on it and I watched like her episode um, sort of out of context and then later ended up going back and watching the whole series. But um, did she share with you anything about like what she had to sign and whether or not she uh, had any ethical no, dilemmas? Know, the, only thing, the only thing I can say that she shared with me is that um, I couldn't use the office certain dates. Okay. Because they were filming and she had to like switch the dates. So she couldn't really like, you can't disclose your scene. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't tell me what she was doing. And then obviously it was on the show. So it was fine. Um, you know, down the line, but like at the time she was like, Oh, you can't use the office that deep because I'm filming something. And I can't tell you what it is, but you'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a funny profession. It's so interesting. I mean, yeah. do you have any, would you ever be opposed to filming a reality scene with one of your patients? If they happen to be on a reality show? Uh, that's actually what my client asked me after she saw me on there. Um, I think it would depend on the person in the situation. I, I'd like to say no, cause, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it would depend. I, I feel like I would never make a black and white rule. I think I'd have to really think there was an upside to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think to answer your question, I think some of the therapists I've seen on there have been great. Um, mm-hmm. and others, not so much. I actually know who I loved who I specifically remember was on, um, Bethany ever after mm-hmm. I loved Bethany's therapist. Yeah. Um, he was great. I thought, and there was another Bravo show that was like a relationship show and they brought couples in. There was a therapist on that who was wonderful. Um, and I can't remember, I can't remember what the show was called now. Um, Ugh, I have to think about it. I can't remember. It was on for a while, though. She was like blonde, short hair. Why don't I remember this? It was back in the day. It was so good. And I, I can't even remember the couples that were on it. But it was they were like all in a house together. I mean, it was like really good <laughs> from a therapy perspective. I think I was in grad school when it was on, too. Oh, uh, so it had to have been like, I don't know, 2007 or 8-ish, somewhere around, like late. Something, something like that. But um, I'm gonna, I'll look it up and send it to you. But it was, she was very good. And then I think she had a spinoff, and it didn't do well. They had a therapist show that lasted for like a couple episodes. That was so bad and unwatchable. Because <laughs> I feel like at the end of the day, nobody really wants to know all their therapists like messy things going on. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden, the therapist had like hair extensions and fake eyelashes, and I just think like I don't think that's really what people, what people really wanted to see for their therapist. You know. 
So um, I was going to ask you, because you recently moved to San Diego from West Hollywood, if yes. you had had any run-ins with Bravo celebrities. So aside from Jax's therapist, have you yes. run into any of our friends um, well, from the I shows? Well, I around the corner from like all the Vanderpump restaurants. So I saw them all the time, like Ken, so the grocery stores across the street. So they're always like crossing the street to go get groceries, like that kind of thing. So you just sort of see them around. Uh, but it's like, so it's in a, like a normal way. That's like not actually that interesting. Um, I kind saw of like, like when we run into politicians in DC. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, I feel like the towns are relatively comparable in that regard from what I hear. Like, just in terms of an industry town, everyone kind of works. I mean, LA, it's like everyone's in entertainment in some capacity or not. Uh, or not, or not. Like, everyone's in it in some capacity or related to it. Yeah. In some way, it's just very normal. Um, I saw Kristen at, like, Hamilton in the lobby, you know, kind of, like, getting at the intermission. Oh, the um, the play Hamilton. The, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Yeah. Which I feel like was kind of more interesting just because... I don't know. It wasn't like outside the restaurant. Kind right. Of thing, you know, where you would expect to. Um, Lisa, though, I will say, I went to like some West Hollywood. Um, there was like a local election or something like that. And Lisa Vanderpump was holding this fundraiser for people who like lived in the area to learn about whoever was running. Was so, it the mayor of West Hollywood? It was not was... the mayor, who I do know <laughs> of quite well. <laughs> um, it was very amused when you showed up. There was a lot of drama because I was on like next door for West Hollywood. So the amount of drama over that mayor and like the corrupt West Hollywood politics and what people thought of them. Oh and, my God. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's its own city. So, you know, it's an interesting, it has its own like city hall and, and all that. That is so funny. When the mayor of West Hollywood showed up at Sutton's event uh, oh my God. for her store, I, I was, was like, so excited. I was like, that's the mayor that everyone's always <laughs> complaining about. <laughs> but so she, so I think he was at this thing. It wasn't for him, but he was there. Um, and the, so obviously I like dragged your friend with me and I was like, well, we have to go to the fundraiser. Like I was not particularly interested in whatever it was about. But so Lisa was there and then we went afterwards and had dinner at, um, I guess, where were Pumper, we? It was, sir. Um, it was, I guess it must've been pumped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It had to have been pumped. So the weird thing, which we still talk about, so she was in the middle of the restaurant with Ken and some friends and she had Jiggy with her and he was just laying on the table, just like laying there. Like, like on a, a dinner table. On the dinner table <laughs> in the middle of the restaurant. We were like, that's just like, seems like a health code violation. Like, and I'm an animal lover. Like I'm all for it. But I just was like, just seems really weird to like eat dinner with your dog. Just laying there like perfectly still on the table. Did you so that was kind of my like. Move at all. No, didn't move. Didn't move once. So I wonder if Jiggy is still alive. Ah, Is he still with us, you know, or is it just some sort of taxidermied? He never looked well. (laughs) Neither did Ken. (laughs) I was just thinking the exact same thing. Like the first few seasons of Beverly Hills, he's alive. And then at some point, like maybe was it when Kim Richards threw him in the pool? Like, I wasn't sure if he just, like, maybe he died. And then ever since then, it's just this, like, walking dead yeah. man. I did see him crossing the street to get groceries. 
But that so was he like can a walk. Years ago, <laughs> you know, so he can walk. He's very short, uh, much shorter than you would expect. Uh, but that was again like a couple of years ago. Anything could have happened. Between, between I now and then. still can't get over that you shared office space with Jax's therapist. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like it's funny that I forgot it until now. <laughs> She was going to be like, you really told someone that that was your big, your big moment. Uh, I, you know, I asked her how they found her and she said they, it was just like a random call from the production company, I think. That's so interesting. Yeah. I thought that was actually interesting of like, like how they find, because Bethany's therapist too. I was always really impressed with him. And I remember looking him up because I was just curious, like where he'd gone to school and everything. And he had at least online. It's it's always hard to tell from their, like a therapist bio. I think what their experiences or how they work, because um, it's just a weird profession. But um, he was like a schizophrenia expert or something, like totally unrelated to what his work with her seemed. With her, okay, so, yeah. So I was just curious again, like how did they find him and why did they go with him? What's interesting about Jax's therapist is that it wasn't just one scene. It was like over multiple years. Yeah. He would keep going back to her. Yes. I mean, do you know if he ever saw her for sessions when they weren't filming? I don't know. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was like, well, can I even say I don't know? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. But it's a weird profession. Like she wouldn't tell me. She that. wouldn't tell you anything like that. No, because you can't even disclose if. If like someone you calls see you someone. or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody called me and said, like, did my sister call you? I would be like, I'm I, unable I to share that. Call them back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, like I'd have to get a release to even disclose that. So she wouldn't have told me. Interesting. Well, you were saying that you like to analyze Bravo shows from a macro, sociocultural, and relationship therapy perspective. I know. I realized we were I chatting like, earlier. This, like quick email at you from my phone and then you sent that back to me and it's like, what does that mean? I was like, oh, that's a good question. Well, as someone, you know, I work in public health and, and politics. Yeah. So this is a newer area for me. So like what what does it mean to kind of uh, analyze from like a, what's macro sociocultural? So the macro piece is really like um I mean, it's actually used more in economics than psychology, sometimes in like community psychology circles that may be more used. But I would just say in anything, the way that I work and the way that I look at clients or issues coming in is always this macro perspective. So if you're going to break it down, you would say like macro, meso, micro. The micro would be the person showing up in your office. Like that's your one person who you're working with. So the smallest piece of it. And then that we all exist within these larger frameworks. And so micro would be the individual. Mezzo would be families, schools, religion, ethnicity, um, communities you're part of, uh, um, political groups, like things like that. And then macro would be the larger cultural piece, um, which is more like government regulations, let's say, like things like that, countries, countries. I do a lot of work with eating disorders, so that's always an interesting one to look at at those levels because you can look at, like, macro laws around food, around how uh, food education, physical education is discussed in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of an example of, like, a really macro approach of, okay, how is this being talked about in, like, a seventh grade classroom? How is my individual seventh grader? taking in this information, where is that coming from? What are the government and political decisions 
being made around that, but then also what are family decisions, uh, ethnicity discussions, right? Like all of these layers and values, where do they come from and how do you look at all of them rather than just, here's this person with an eating disorder and I'm just looking at them in the absence of everything else. Okay. So it's all the context. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, how do all those things interweave? How do they all affect one Mm -hmm. another? There's a constant back and forth flow. And I think as a therapist, I would hope would help all therapists, right? But like, like you have to hold all of that, right? Like, where is the seventh grader getting this information from, or whoever you're working with? Um, even if, even if it's like an adult coming in saying they're depressed, right? Like, what are their ideas around depression? Where does that come from? And how are you fleshing out that conversation? And how are you asking questions around it? And how are you, as a clinician, understanding all those different levels? That's how so they connect interesting because you know if you look at just relationships with food they are so varied across the franchises and Mm -hmm. everyone seems to notice it and joke about it but it is wildly uncomfortable to watch the women of beverly hills eat and considering so much of these shows take place around dining room tables at restaurants where people order sea bass (laughs) or whatever. Right. It's so uncomfortable it. to see how they joke about how much they eat when you know that they don't and mm-hmm. just how uncomfortable they are and how much they judge each other's like food and drink yeah. consumption. Totally. And totally. then to see, um, you know, I guess I would say the real housewives of Potomac seems to be uh, and and Atlanta much less focused on how much people are eating or in allowing people to enjoy food. Um, there was a pregnant woman on Atlanta last season, Ava, who just kept ordering sides and sides and sides of everything. And That's I mean, so it was great. it was hilarious. <laughs> she was eating in almost every scene. And, you know, no apologies. No, it was just, you know, she's pregnant yeah. and she's hungry. Um, so because that's one of the franchises I don't know as well. I've seen a little bit of it, but I'm now you're making me like I'm gonna need to watch it just on that level alone. Because that's one thing I love, right? Is like you go from city to city or you go from group to group, and the way if you just use food as the example, the way it's portrayed, the way it's looked at is totally different. Yeah. Um, so again, if you're working with a client, like you get clients from all across the board, you know, live everywhere, different experiences, all of that, like it's really important to understand that where they're coming from and what those differences are on every level. Yeah, definitely. So I think when you're watching, when you're watching houses, there's no way to not notice it. For me, I think if I, like I spend all day kind of noticing things like that and thinking about it and talking about it. So when I sit down, it's, I find it very relaxing because I don't have to do anything about it. Um, yep. I just kind of you just notice the problems, but you don't actually yeah, have to come like up with any solutions. Football, I, think. <laughs> I don't really know how things works, but I feel like I just realized that like, that's kind of how it feels like. That's so funny. You just get to enjoy it. (laughs) Well, we were talking earlier about different kind of some of the major marital and family relationships across housewives and themes and how things have changed over time. And one of the things you pointed out was that the idea of a woman's worth being validated by a man has changed dramatically from the inception of the Real Housewives franchises when they used to all be married and they they were actual actual housewives and that's where they got their self-worth to many of them going through divorces to now we're in situations where a lot of women are single and they're easily cast as housewives yeah or they have husbands but that's not the main storyline and that's not the main yeah. thing that defines them 
Yeah. So how have you kind of enjoyed watching this? I, I mean, New change? York to mm-hmm. me, I would write like a thesis on New York. If I was still in grad school and I could do something like that, like they would let me. I mean, that to me is just it is the biggest evolution where you've been watching these women for I think it's like a decade now, if not yeah, more, over. which is mind boggling to me also that like for many of us, you've had relationships with these women for so long and seen them through so many phases of life. Um, I also think New York has a really interesting aging perspective mm-hmm. um, that's kind of coming in as these women sort of like lose their currency essentially in our world. Um, unfortunately, right? Like youth is currency as are like relationships to men, power, you know, money and power and, and sort of how they're viewed. But the, I mean, New York is, you watch Bethany when she first came in, um, you know, she was really the only single one and she was like always looking to find someone and Jill was married and Ramona and Luann and they all have these sort of wealthy husbands and these very comfortable lives. Um, and that's totally, totally shifted now. I think the season that it, is the most uncomfortable to me is when Luann was engaged to Tom. Yes. Um, that for me felt like they were all, it was like as if she had somehow won the golden ring kind of thing. Like, Do you think they thought that or do you think she thought that? I think she thought that. And I think, I think they did. I think Ramona did. Um, and I think, I think there was this sense. I don't think they thought Tom was the golden. I got either. it. But right, the, but I but think the this getting idea married. That she, yes, she was getting married. She had found someone. She wasn't going to be on her own anymore. She was like getting a second chance. But it was like all of a sudden, she was somehow she had somehow like pulled ahead. Interesting, and and it was with a man that many of them had dated, and so there was yes. a lot of pushback from Sonia and Ramona on that. Like she had snagged him. When they had been with him yes. as well. So there was yes. that additional and layer. she had like won out. Won it. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think any viewers necessarily thought she was winning. But <laughs> yeah. that, and I don't know. I always sort of wondered like was that. It's been interesting seeing Leah come in and wonder like is that generational? Is that, I don't know, like this idea of somehow if you're getting married, you have like accomplish something like you've done what you're supposed to do or like this is the right um I don't want to say the right path but there was something about the quality of all of their interactions at that point to me that really felt like they were jealous of that that she was doing this not of Tom that is that is really fascinating um Another thing I was wondering, just as someone who practices psychotherapy, is your thoughts on how Bravo and various production companies have handled cast members who appear to be having um, psychosis, right? So we've got Scary Island with Kelly Ben Simone. Yeah. I am not a professional but watching it, I was uncomfortable. And then you hear years later behind the scenes that she was forced by production to leave filming. Um, I do, didn't know that. Yeah. That like in the middle of the night, they ha- had her leave. It wasn't just I did not know that. Wow. her own decision. That r- rumblings of that. I, I don't know. At, all the women who have were on the island <laughs> so, so well, <laughs> have said that it is much worse. It was much worse than what was aired. 
Oh, wow. And so you wonder, I, I assumed when I had watched that, that she wouldn't come back for another season because, yeah. you know, just like this season with Dorinda, it appeared right. that something was off, right? Yes. Like emotionally, mentally, that she needed a break. Yeah. So do you think Bravo has handled these situations or like well? Um, or do you see a change in how they're handling situations? I don't see a change in it. No, I think it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorinda, I mean, that season, I almost couldn't watch it. Like things like that make me so... Like, it's like a deep, deep sadness to me to watch something like that because it just feels like someone's being exploited and they're, whatever they're going through is being exploited and we're all watching it. Everyone's kind of acting. I mean, I think in with Dorinda's case, I think people were kind of trying to help her on the show and yeah. she was just, you know, not going to have it. Um, it reminded me of watching, I know this isn't Bravo, but it just reminded me of watching Britney Spears in whatever it was, 2008 mm-hmm, and watching, or like any Winehouse situation where you're like watching this and you're watching it play out, but this is not like, it's, this isn't like a funny entertaining thing anymore. This is like, someone needs to step in and remove this person from the situation and take care of them. Like, this is really not, not safe, not good. Like we can't keep filming something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I think it just makes me sad and really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York this season, I did keep watching, but I didn't enjoy it. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, like, I was I was really, really glad to hear that she was not going to be on it. I just, like, I was glad to hear she was taking a break for herself or whatever it was she needed to do. Um, or, you know, whatever the reason was that they stated she was leaving. It just seemed like something was really off and... Um, you know, I, I will say I don't know what necessarily a production company would do in that scenario. Like, I don't know what the right response is. Do you, do they come in, like, with Kelly? Like, do they come in and take them out um, against no the will? Their contract? I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think that we, like, approach or discuss. I don't even know that I would say mental health, but, like, people just, like, struggling with anything in, like, super constructive ways in our society. I think if we did, people wouldn't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um You know, so I think to me, it feels like very much a reflection of that. It's, I don't know. I feel like um, reality TV has been around long enough that it's not as if these situations haven't happened before, right? You know, like if you watch um, or know anything about The Bachelor or Bachelorette, they have a psychologist on staff and they have someone, especially now after when it's airing. Um, reach out to people. Of course, that show notoriously showcases people in a light that is not flattering or always well, I accurate. Think that's the thing about reality TV, though, where that's why mm-hmm. I sort of wonder, like, what the production will do because there is this very fine line of that's what you're going on the show to do mm-hmm. is to create some sort of drama. Like, where does production come in? to say like, this is too much over the line. I mean, Scary Island is like the most famous episode, right? Everybody watched right. it, everybody knows it. So, and I don't, I think, I think production companies are business companies, essentially. Right. I don't, I mean, this, I having worked in production like earlier in my career and all of that, like they're not out there to like ensure someone's mental health. That's not their role. Um, I think they have like a legal obligation, I'm sure. 
before I went to grad school, I um, worked for a company that actually ran background checks on prospective reality show applicants, like briefly. What? Wait, um, I didn't even yeah. know this was a thing. So you know. <laughs> explain to me even what the steps are. So, I mean, this was years ago. So this was like pre- social media, like to this degree, um, right. I want to say we even looked at like MySpace back then. So that's like how old it was, um, or like how long ago it was you, there was a, it was a private investigation company that did like a lot of like legit work, but their office in LA had just basically like one department that did this. Um, and I had a friend who worked there and I was going to be going to grad school and they needed some extra people to do it for a couple months. So I came in and did it. Um, you run legal checks and then you also run social checks. So at that point they would give us like, I mean, we'd get like stacks and stacks of applicants and they would give us like their password to go on their social media and you would see what was on there. So production would have some idea if, like, then we would have to write up a report basically saying, like, what we found. And um, that is a fascinating. If there was interviews done and things like that. Yeah. Um, we also, I will say, searched a lot of porn sites. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, like, not even that they wouldn't have someone if they were in porn, but the production companies just wanted to know ahead of time if it was going to come out because someone would find it. Yeah, that's uh, so true. it was interesting because like later when you would hear like, oh, this person was on this, you're like, oh, they knew. Like they, they don't actually care. They knew. But um, so, I mean, I think they were doing some work in that regard. I will say like we would sometimes send reports and be like, we would do interviews with people they knew. There's a couple of people where we would say like, this person's not mentally stable and production would still want them. And it was my boss's job to like push and be like, you're going to have a lawsuit on your hands. Like you actually can't have this person on there. But again, like, I just don't think production companies are overwhelmingly concerned about people's mental health or they wouldn't have such popular shows. Yeah. It's just, I think they're exploiting people's mental health. I mean, look at yeah. Sonia or someone like that where like, I mean, I, I love Sonia, but there's been plenty of points in the show where I'm like, I'm like deeply worried about what's going on with her. You know, like, yeah. is she okay? Like there's certain seasons where I think she's struggling more than others, but I don't think productions like Sonia take a season off, you know? Right. Um, it's I don't just know. crazy yeah. because um, this past season of Vanderpump Rules, when they had two new guys who had social media yep. situations, guarantee like, you they knew about that. Clearly, they knew and they didn't they care. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's even true. They didn't know, but that was a headline. Mm-hmm. So, like all publicity is good publicity, right? So people tune in and see who this person is or what did they say and it creates more it was weird though because then they the got show. edited out of a few episodes and then later well got i feel fired. like they got in trouble then. yeah right, then i think there was a whole social turn due to other events right that they i think probably got enough heat where they actually felt like they had to do something to be politically correct as um, opposed to doing it yeah it was which also right like i mean just felt very disingenuous i thought but um, you know, it's like, you already knew that. Why didn't you do it? Right. Why did you ever have them on to begin with? You knew that going into it, you know? I mean, even the stuff with Stotts and them, it's like, they've known that. For years. For, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, why now? You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she's good, wondering that but, too. Is it right? Exactly. 
<laughs> well, it is kind of a strange, like we let you get away with this for years and years and years, but now the public is coming for us and our shows are not going to be popular. So we need to do like, we need to be on the right side of history now that people care. And also these were things that she did multiple years ago. Yes. And it's yeah. really hard to reprimand someone for an action that was taken a while back. Yeah. Whether it be a I adult or agree. a child. I mean, you don't discipline a child for something they did two years ago. Right. It's, Four it's, years ago, you're like, hey, you know what? Cultural tides have changed. Now you're in trouble <laughs> for that. It's very, very weird. I'm not saying nothing should have happened. But totally agree. I'm not condoning what she did. Yeah. I'm more it, just curious about what the conversations were at the Bravo conference table. Right. Over, exactly. over the years of this, right? Because they, I mean, even the stuff, like, I don't. I don't follow, I don't watch OC, but I kind of know the players. Like, it just, like, with Kelly Dodd, I feel like everyone's, like, really angry and, like, wanting to not watch OC and and all of this right now. But it's, like, she's been doing the same stuff for years. Well, I think, so Andy Cohen has spoken about this. And in the past, Kelly had been applauded for her audacity Mm -hmm. and her outrageousness. Mm Most of her comments were not related to public health or politics. They were just rude and outrageous. And she was applauded for it, right? But they weren't necessarily specific to Donald Trump or Democrats or whether or not you comply with public health guidance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they weren't about things like that. And, you know, it. I do believe things change when – there are 255 yeah. plus thousand Americans who have died in the last, what, eight months only? Yeah. So the tides have changed. People are sick of it. And she's not going to change who she is. She didn't change when she went on the show. She was the same person before she was cast. She was cast because of who she is. Now she's being who she is, who we wanted her to be. And then now there's backlash, and I think she's dumbfounded and confused by it. It's interesting to me for Bravo. Yeah, I guess I just, I do wonder, like, what their conversations are around that. I mean, particularly Andy, who... He hasn't invited her on Watch What Happens Live. (laughs) But is that it? I mean, he's still giving her a platform. I don't know how you undo an entire season that was filmed or someone's a main character. Yeah. And at the same time, what she's saying isn't, I mean, people agree with what she's saying. There are people who think this way. And so is is it wrong to showcase? Is it just like a mirror up to what America looks like right now? So that's what, that's what I feel like it seems to me. And it seems like it's all come yep. to a head because you could say the same thing about Stassi, unfortunately. You could mm-hmm. say people don't disagree with her views either, but she's not on the show. Um, right. So, oh, I, and I wonder for someone like Andy. I feel like Andy's relatively vocal about his own political views. Mm-hmm. So, not saying that everyone on Bravo needs to agree with Andy, but I am curious, like how I'm. Just, I would just be so curious what he thinks about it. Yeah, he's, he's given these people a voice. He's given these people followings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he I doesn't don't know. It's, make all of the top decisions though about who's hired and who's fired. So he is actually very much removed from certain pieces of that, according to him. So he did a podcast recently with 
with Danny Pellegrino, where he talked about, you know, he wasn't part of the people sitting around the table deciding at who so I'd still got fired. Like, is, there, is there a thought process like, let's hold up a mirror to society? Like, is that... I mean, I like, think that's that, the way... Is that their conversation? Or is it just these are good ratings and people are going to fight? I think some of it is this is a mirror thing. of society, right? Like, yeah, that's... Yeah. You can't just not show things and start censoring people. That, I mean, this is an argument. Right. It's not what I think. But, yeah. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Did you see any changes in how the Real Housewives were produced following everything that happened between Taylor and Russell Armstrong? No. Did you? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, terrible, that's but... I, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about that one because that was like a, I mean, that was just a horrible, I'm just thinking back on it now, like that whole, that whole thing playing out with her. Um, no, but I don't think there are any. At the same changes. time, like, I don't know if production knew. But the women knew. Right. I mean, so, I'm not saying production knew, but the yeah. women knew, and like what was their response to around it was, I, I'm trying to remember now because it's so many years ago, but. Um, so I'm rewatching. So I never saw the first three seasons of The Real oh. Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, so I'm like watching them now, and okay. I know what happens, right? Because I've been following, I started watching season four, and I knew the players. So yeah. it's it's so hard because. I don't know if there is a right way to respond as a friend or as an acquaintance to someone who you think is in trouble with domestic violence, but maybe you don't know for sure, you know, and if well, they don't out them on national television. Exactly. First of all. So that's yeah. the first thing. And one, I would just say from like a purely safety standpoint, oh my God, like to out someone like that, like you don't know what situation she's going back into right. and what could transpire like are you I mean like are you acting crazy like that's just so dangerous to put someone in that position um Vicky did that I mean too. I, was, I, I remember that being like my first response <laughs> to it but other than that I think I mean yeah I don't you know okay you don't have to respond but you could just respond in like a kind supportive way and off camera say you know either this is what I've heard and I'm here for you and you don't need to talk about it, but just know I'm here if you do, or if I can help you with something, I'm here, right? Like you don't have to make someone talk about it. Or you say, I've heard something has been going on. And again, like, I'm just here for you. I mean, but again, that does not make for a good reality television. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I would tell someone if they asked me, like, I think the situation is going on. How should I handle it? Right. Um, I mean, it happened again on the OC where Vicky outed Shannon as saying that David hurt her. And she... Really? Yes. She was um, hiding in her bathroom and the police were called and she denies everything and her and... Uh, yet Shannon and Vicky didn't speak for at least a year, not just due why? to the cancer scam, but because of what she said about Shannon and David. I didn't... You know, I watched a couple seasons of the OC with Lydia because I went to high school with her. So I had to watch Wait, those seasons. what? Are you from Canada? <laughs> No, she moved to San Diego um, and grew up in Long Island. Oh. I went to high school with her during those years. Um, so I knew a little bit about Shannon, but I they alluded to things, and I always thought it was more emotional abuse. I think it was a bit of both. And she was very upset and was like, he has never hit me and like still maintains to this day. I, I mean. Yeah. 
Wait, tell. Let's go backtrack. Let's go back. So you <laughs> went to high school with Lydia, who I, I think I can safely say is my least favorite housewife of all time on all <laughs> franchises in the history Why? of Bravo. I don't like anything about her. Her mannerisms, how she talks, how she acts, how she thinks she's better than everyone. And then especially the shit that she's been saying about masks and the QAnon stuff is that's more recent. But when she was on, I felt like she added nothing. And she looks like a child. And I didn't want to see someone on my screen that looks like a child. I'm being judgmental. Fine. I want to I want to see middle aged women, you know, I yeah. like an older housewife, okay? I like a housewife I in her that. 50s. I do not yeah, need housewives that. in their early 30s, with the exception Very of Potomac. Much agree with you. <laughs> so, but what was she like in high school? She was fine. I mean, she was nice in high school. She was very religious. Um, she, there was like a whole group in my high school of like extremely religious kids. Like, like this is not really like the cool kids in my high school were all her group. So they would go to like, these Christian retreats on the weekend and they would come back with like fish around their neck with Jesus quotes on them. They didn't drink. They didn't have sex. Like, but they were the popular. Was, I was Jewish at this high school. So this is like not my group. Um, they were all nice. I mean, they were fine, but um, honestly, I feel like she was exactly the same. She was very kind of like boppity and perky and, you know, kind of friendly to people. Um, I, I'm not like surprised by any of the QAnon stuff or the Trump stuff or the mask stuff. <laughs> None of that. It's been interesting to see it on like a public. Level. It's interesting to see people react to someone you don't even know that well, but sort of like I was in like, well, I was in a math class with her. Um, yeah. I mean, I, she was, I, I feel like she was exactly the same. Yeah. Um, her misspelled captions. Don't surprise me. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't know why she was just so she was just frustrating like I just didn't like her voice I didn't like what she I felt like she had nothing to add it felt like she was a child on a show with like middle-aged women also true because I don't think I mean I I don't also this will probably sound really judgmental but I feel like her parents have been supporting her her whole life so I feel like she is very childlike Mm -hmm. like I don't think she's really like had to be on her own in any meaningful way. Of, yeah, meaningful way. Thank you. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. So I think there is a child likeness to that. Like the glitter thing, like is I mean the glitter thing, I was like, I can't. Like I'm not sure why we're if someone threw glitter on me, first of all, there's like nothing I hate more. Like if someone threw glitter on me, I'm like, the get out of my face. Why are you throwing glitter on random people? That's so aggressive. Like <sighs> <sighs> Yeah. But again, like none of that surprised me. So another thing we were chatting about was like power dynamics of the various women's social circles and kind of who's on top at various times and how Bethany, you know, started from the bottom and, you know, it's like the Drake song, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it's also interesting to watch on Atlanta with Portia who started as, you know, quite young in this marriage that was not working out very well, not the most sure of herself to all of a sudden being like, Queen Bee, knowing who she is, standing up for herself, standing up for, you know, all black women and all the work she's been doing with Brianna Taylor and bail funds. You know, it's wow. just interesting to see the evolution of these power dynamics. 
Well, that's what's kind of amazing about these shows because you follow these people for so long. There is such an evolution of, I mean, you're truly watching their lives for so, I just, they just take place over so many years at this point. Yeah. Um, to see people change and grow, you know, for better, or for worse at times, but you really go through all of the ups and downs. Do you feel like Bravo or production tries to put at least one woman forward on each franchise as the quote unquote queen bee? And then it leads to just how they're edited. Do you think, well, I don't, I never thought of it as something Bravo did. Honestly, I thought of it as a very like common female way of group dynamics. Um, and asserting dominance. Is, yeah. And okay. it always seems to me, maybe not always, but for the most part, it seems to me like the most powerful one is usually the wealthiest, mm-hmm. uh, at least for New York and Beverly Hills. Like Lisa was on top, Erica came in and there was a lot of friction because Erica didn't need Lisa in any way. Mm-hmm. I don't think Erica was impressed with Lisa. Um, and then I think things got like confusing now with Lisa gone, but, and then New York, I always thought it was amazing that Bethany was like this young, you know, kind of when like wanting to kind of claw her way in a little bit. And the, and Luann was on top and married to the count, not on top of like with the count, the count or whatever. And then Bethany came back in after she'd sold everything and was a gazillionaire. And they are all like dying to be her friend. I mean, they're all like upset because Beth. This, it, the whole season that she came back, they were like, it was like always an argument over who Bethany was nice to and who Bethany was talking to. It was, you guys didn't even care about Bethany before. She was like your sad little sister half the time. Um, and all of a sudden, it just seemed like she was the one everyone wanted a piece of. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like on Potomac, and I don't know if this is really the case, but I feel like they're trying to since the beginning, sell us that Giselle is the queen bee, right? And in the beginning, I think you think she is. But the more time goes on, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it's Karen, you know? And it's not due to money. It's not due to, I don't know what it is, but Karen has some sort of maternal relationship with some of the younger women. There is like a, I don't know. And I feel like Giselle doesn't have as much power as she thinks she does. And I'm very much looking forward to this season's reunion because I think she's going to get called out on a lot of things. It was like, she throws stones at everyone, but you can't come after her. That kind of like Lisa? Yeah, I mean, in that kind of way. But it's just so much more egregious than Lisa because at least Lisa, it was in or is in what we assume to be a relatively stable, happy marriage and, you know, has businesses that are successful. Whereas Giselle is back with her ex-husband who cheated on her and who fathered children with other women while See, I feel she was like that with never her. works to be the queen. So, okay, so maybe I should adjust what I said. Then. Yeah. I feel so, like the queen bee has to have something that people envy about them. And if right. you are in a bad marriage and no one envies that, like, you can't be the queen bee in that. Like, right. Lisa has all this money. She has successful businesses. She yeah. has a husband who dotes on her. So there's all these elements that I think people people want to be near Wanted. that. That's attractive. That's interesting. And there's something, like you said, like the older housewife, like I think there's something to look up to and that she's accomplished or achieved. And so people will fall in line yep. under that. Um, but yeah, I don't think it works if you are 
I don't think it works unless all those puzzle pieces are are there. Right. But it's it's interesting to see on Jersey, though, for example, where Teresa is always the quote unquote queen bee or the person on top. But I don't think there's anything envious about her over the last five years. Her husband went to prison. She went to prison. Right. She's getting divorced. I don't know how she continues to have this like pull over some of the women and then you've got I haven't watched Jersey in so long, but you're making me I need to like get up to it's speed. It's good now. And then, you know, there's this. I um, was so curious what happened like after prison and everything. You have to watch with it. Her and like the re-entry in. Okay, I've got to watch it. And then there's this different. new housewife, Jackie, who's Jewish and who has okay. a uh, had a very severe eating disorder. And that's like part of her storyline that she's like okay. in recovery. But it's it's a long situation she's the one that's not like come like she's like pointing out all these issues with Teresa, and i i'm living for it because i've never thought there was anything special about Teresa. yes she's great television but i don't know why all these women are constantly walking on eggshells around her all the time do you think it has to do with who's kind of considered just like like i mean i guess what you were saying in terms of bravo producing like teresa's like the star of the show and so do they just want to stay in her good graces to stay on the show you know i think that was part of it i think there was something to be said with nene leaks in the you know beginning of atlanta she also left and came back the way that bethany did you know, mm-hmm. very few housewives can leave on their own yeah, volition yeah. and then be invited back. Yeah. There is a power there. Yeah, there's an interesting pull and like a a star power to it. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it was making me think of like Survivor back in the day, which I haven't watched in years, but like the alliance idea, you know, if you want to align with the people who are going to survive yeah. on the show, especially at this point for these women. I mean, I think when the show started, there was a little more like, innocence to it perhaps whereas mm-hmm. now it's like you're gonna build a brand out of this you're gonna make money off of it kind of thing right like it's a well-oiled machine so if you want to be on the show and stay on the show who do you ensure your future success with and then if you bet wrong like Sheree did you <laughs> <laughs> you kind of get screwed it's or like, like brandy I feel like. oh yeah brandy glanville and now people are like, oh, she was right all along about Lisa. She, she was she was right the whole time, but you can't – I feel like she couldn't be the first one to say it. And right. she didn't have anything that anyone really, like, needed or wanted from her, unfortunately, mm-hmm. to keep yep. her to keep her in there. So it was – no one was going to go to bat for her. There was no reason to. She also always seemed to kind of go for the jugular when she was upset she with someone yeah. in a way that um, is not endearing to viewers. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think she, unfortunately, sort of, like, went so far that you couldn't root for her anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, we are like, like, I get your point, but you don't need to say it that way or do it that way. Totally. Well, when it comes to, you know, watching these families and marriages and all of that on these shows, are there any examples that you can think of of positive family relationships or healthy dynamics or good co-parenting? <laughs> I think healthy is relative. So, you know, I mean, I think Kyle and Mauricio seem happy mm-hmm. um, and like they have good family dynamic, you know, whether you approve of their family dynamics or not, I think 
is not the point, but like they seem like a functional family unit. Yeah. Um, Co-parenting, I have to say, I was very impressed with Ramona um, and Mario when they had dinner with with Avery that Mm -hmm. night. Because I have to think like, I mean, that has to be just like a rough situation for Ramona, I would just to walk in, I just felt bad for Ramona. I mean, and I'm, I don't like Ramona at all. Well, I don't know. I don't like her, but, but no, you I don't like her. Yeah, it, it's interesting. She's Ramona, like you've kind of been through it all with her at this point. And, you know, also didn't think when they got divorced, was Avery 18? Was she old? Like, was she an Would adult she at that point? You know, I don't, that's what, she was like around there, but I yeah. don't remember if she was like, last year high school or early college which you still but, co-parent but it's a different it's not a legal situation anymore but I almost feel and maybe that's almost why I was impressed because I also felt like they kind of just walked away and been like right. you go with your dad you go with your mom and like I felt like she's an only child and I just thought it must be so nice for her to be able to have dinner with her parents I have this very public divorce like him cheating on her this whole thing and they don't have to co-parent they don't have to come together for any reason right um but they did for her so i thought that was impressive um other co-parenting who else is co-parenting well there's Uh, a lot on the oc that we're seeing right now so have you watched the recent seasons with gina no, okay. I feel like I'm doing such a bad job here. Like, no, it. so this is, this is, I have a question for you really? on this. So yeah. Gina, um, you know, you see her first season, I think it was like two years ago. She's married, her husband's never on the show. And I think it's because his work didn't end up signing off on him being able to be okay. on the show. So you see her with the three kids and he's always in LA and she's in Orange County. And so he stays up he stays at an apartment in LA overnight multiple times. And you're like, what's going on here? Um, so eventually they do get separated and then they apparently get back together. And then when filming is done, there is a domestic violence situation where she had to call 911 on him where he broke into her house and um, yeah. hurt her. And okay. So then they got divorced, right? They're officially getting divorced now. Okay. So now he's got a new girlfriend and she's got a new boyfriend and they have three young children. And she, you see her kind of struggling with like, okay, it's our child's birthday and they want mommy and daddy to be there. Uh-huh. So she invites, you know, her ex who abused her at least at least one time that we yeah. know of and his new girlfriend and her new boyfriend has to like put on a happy face knowing what this man did to his girlfriend, to, you know, his current girlfriend. It's wild. And she's making a decision right now on whether or not she wants to go on the record for his court case and stating how this incident affected her because she mm-hmm. feels like he gets away with everything and she doesn't want mm-hmm. him to go to jail. She, you know, knows that he's in anger management right now. She thinks he's being a really good dad, but mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of struggling. And I think her attorney and, and her boyfriend are convincing her it's okay to write out how this incident impacted you. So he's forced to hear it. It's wild. And so wow. Dark. <laughs> I've got to start watching. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say the OC is the best, but in terms of like interesting family, I mean, dynamics, that's a really fascinating story. 
storyline right? to be watching. And that's the part with these shows where, I mean, I have to say, like, there's aspects where, like, I'm sure plenty of people are watching these shows and having something similar go on in their yeah. life, their family's life, or their friends' lives. So there is a piece of it that I just think is is very incredible to watch these things play out and to put them in such a public conversation. Um, you know, and to show also that like these things happen to so many different people. And in, you know, I think it does it kind of breaks down some stereotypes, which I appreciate. And, I, and yeah, definitely. You know, and then you've got uh-uh. Shannon Bedore, whose girls are, one of them is now 18, and the other are, two are in high school. And her oldest is going to write a book on her experience with her parents' divorce. And Shannon's horrified of what she's going to read in this book, because <laughs> she's like, I, I probably mean, messed you up. Show when, you're, when your kids are really little, isn't that kind of par for the course? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> They're just following what they've seen. Like, and are they supposed to be like a normal job now? I mean, of course they're going to write us hell all about something. And, you know, I mean, the apples that fall far from the tree, right? So I think a I lot like of that's... kids could relate to a toxic yeah. divorce between two parents, where yes. even though it's clear that that relationship is toxic, that you want to have a good relationship with your mom and your dad. Regardless yeah, of what I think they a did lot to each other, kids are put in the middle of that, mm-hmm. and you know it is. You know, I mean, sorry for Shannon, but I feel like that's. You know, if her daughter does a, a great job on the book, it will be interesting for, for kids to feel less alone. I would mm-hmm. say, and just knowing, like, oh, somebody else went through this, or uh, maybe they experienced something similar, or you know, like you said. So, you know, I mean, I'm guessing her mom doesn't want it out there, but. I mean, I think she's encouraging her daughter to do the book, but she realizes now that she probably should have handled a lot of situations differently. And she, so she was talking to her daughter and she's like, you know, my parents did this to me and I passed it on to you. Like, and I feel like she's in therapy. (laughs) I want, you know, she was like, my parents had this toxic relationship. I, well, I was mimicked say, it. I think in therapy we say like it's not like nothing's ever like a life sentence, right? Like right. it's it's Chris for the mill. So it's not like this happened and then that's it. And like, yes, maybe she does and this is like not watching the OC and not knowing knowing bits and pieces of, of Shannon, but I, I don't feel like I know the show well, so I might be speaking wrong, but or wrongly about her. But I feel like in, in the end it's just you're continuing a conversation with your daughter and you are acknowledging what happened or you're acknowledging like, Hey, I wish I had done this differently. And you're showing them that that's okay to do. Number one, it's okay to mm-hmm. like reflect back on things that you've done. It's, it's okay to see like to have your mom do that. I would actually think would be pretty powerful to have your mom say like, I didn't handle this right. And I'm, you know, I learned that from my dad and maybe I don't want to teach that to you. And I mean, that's evolution and that's change and that's, that's changing the story of the family and not just handing that to her daughter, but also showing like for her to show that she's capable of that or her daughter to see that as an example, I think is, is pretty cool actually. So, yeah. so I don't watch the show, so I don't know if she's like Ramona <laughs> and like, I'm just like, Oh, Ramona's great. But um, you know, I mean, I think there's something nice in that I, I, without a lot of context. No, <laughs> I think it's good. Oh, and then I was thinking in terms of co-parenting Leah and Rob, with their oh. daughter Kiki seem to have yeah. as unusual as it is, it seems to be working. It does. 
It does. And I always think, I mean, at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding, right? So I feel like if your kids are happy and, and doing well, then you're doing something right. So, I mean, I love Leah on the show. I think she's such an interesting energy to bring in just a different generation. I feel like she's such a like mother daughter thing with a lot of the, yeah, with a lot of them. <laughs> um, her cleaning up Ramona's kitchen after like destroying everything was maybe my favorite scene ever. It was like, it was so childlike. It was so like, uh Oh, my mom's going to be mad at me. I better do something to fix this quickly or something. And it worked. Um, like it disarmed it did, Ramona. It did. I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, her dynamic with her mom, I thought was so interesting. But I, I love how well she's bonded with women. And, and she's just brought in a different dynamic of this, this. She's not a housewife. Right. You know, as the show started, right? Like to go back to sort of like what we started talking about. I mean, this is 10 years later. The show has evolved and what we are all seeing and the relationships have evolved. So it's interesting. Do you think, how do you think it's going to keep evolving or what do you see might change? You know, I've been wondering this because I felt like I, I know for me, like when quarantine first started, the idea that I could watch the housewives was just like so comforting and wonderful. Um, And then when it switched to like, they were all quarantined. I personally was like, I just don't want to watch this. Like I wanted an escape. Mm-hmm. from what my day-to-day is. I don't want to watch this and remember what's going on. And now, like, maybe I'm not something, but I don't know. I'm I'm curious, you know, as all these politics come in, right? Like, and as our society has become so angry with one another and split and all this, like, I don't know how that affects the show. I, I sadly wondered, like, is this it? Is it over? Will it, will it continue in this, in this way that we've all loved? Will it evolve how does it evolve I, I don't want to I know for me I don't want to watch people have political arguments on a reality show like mm-hmm. I got enough of that in real life you know like I I, I just want to go and like watch them like I'll just go watch a movie then you know <laughs> like, so yeah. I want to watch something that's relaxing and I great. like when they sprinkle political things in and when it's not the main thing so for example on Beverly yeah. Hills when Camille and Lisa Rinna were talking about Brett Kavanaugh's con- confirmation, oh, and Camille God, yeah. shared her experience having been raped and feeling like he was oh. wrongly accused. And then you have Lois, Lisa Rinna's mother, who this awful situation where she was raped and like beaten and almost killed and then survived. Yeah. And so to have two women with experiences of assault have differing views on it was interesting to watch honestly I hated it you did okay I, I did. was like you're oh, just they're... reminding me how much I mean I actually remember you're reminding me <laughs> now like the anger I felt at my screen watching Camille talk not just because I think she said something like I ran and told my parents or something right wasn't that her thing I it was don't... like like this they would have she would have told her parents or something she it felt like she was trying to she she it's it to me it appeared that she had unresolved trauma and she was yes. putting her energy yes in and the, I, I a way that, I, that yeah yeah so I feel like watching that I, oh it's like making me it's kind of making me nauseous thinking about it all over again like it, I think it was so unpleasant to watch that for me and seeing her put that on other people or evaluate other people's experiences because of that unresolved trauma was very upsetting. Um, outside of the political piece of it, regardless was like, I don't care if this was just like your neighbor or someone on the street who's telling this story. Like you can't put 
and again, maybe this is like probably because of work, but like my whole day is spent not putting my experiences on other people. Yeah. <laughs> and watching <laughs> so that true. done in such a powerful, offensive, like way to just be like, well, this happened to me. So therefore it didn't happen to that person. Like, I mean, I don't think I have any greater pet peeve than that. I just, so, it's hard for me to watch the I, show. But I appreciate you liking that. I'm yeah, like, well, it's hard for me to watch the show when they don't acknowledge anything that's happening that what I think, quote unquote, like matters in the world, like the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice or right. a huge um, hurricane that devastates an entire island or, yes. you know, really big stories that happen or yeah. an election. Like in 2016, I felt like it was only the Real Housewives of New York that was talking about it because Carol yeah. wouldn't shut up about it. And I, I appreciated that. And they were that. all mad at her. They were all <laughs> mad at her for talking about it. Well, I think that is part of yeah. this interesting evolution, though, because it does feel like that split for all of us has gotten smaller. Yeah. Um, you know, like we none of us can kind of just like shut it off. It's like I thought that about myself when I watched it, you know, like – I want some escape, and it's like, well, that's kind of unfair in some ways, right? Like, I, maybe it's not, but it's like, it's, in a way, it's a privilege. This is a reality show, and say, is, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Like, this is a reality show, and this is what's going on. I am exhausted from it in my own life at the end of the day, mm-hmm. so I just want to come home, like, turn off. Yeah, but I appreciate that it is on the show, right? Like, if I want to just like turn it off, I can watch a movie, I can watch something different. So I appreciate that they are not ignoring it all like they had been. Yeah, uh, I but think- I do wonder like how that I don't know I I I don't know I yeah I want I don't know I don't have any predictions for for what will happen I don't think I want to watch the same arguments that I like am hearing all day long in the news and stuff like that. What I'm interested me. in is in terms of like the future. I feel like Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is the future. I haven't seen it. I am dying to watch it. I've heard so there is things. so many interesting sociocultural know, like things happening. <laughs> yes, her step grandfather. Okay. But okay. the um, they're talking about things that I think are very real issues, but they're not necessarily happening at a national or global level. So it's each of them is trying to figure out where they fit in in Salt Lake City. A, a town that is pretty insular, that is heavily Mormon, mm. and is extremely judgmental. And so they're all like, some are Mormon, some are Mormon converts, some aren't sure if they belong in the Mormon church anymore, but it's everything mm. they ever knew. Some are members of other religions that, you know, aren't very prominent in Utah. And so oh. there's that. Very and so it's like, where do they fit in? in this town that you're not sure if there's space for them. They think they fit in. And then sometimes they're like, well, so it's, it's just very interesting to see them grapple with and where yeah. they're at in their lives. Like I think they're all of them, I think are in their forties. So mm-hmm. most of them are 20 years into marriage, right? Cause they got married very young and right. that's an interesting time to watch. Like, are they mm-hmm. growing together? Are they growing apart? Kids are yeah. getting older moving on, moving apart, moving away from them. I think it's fascinating. And you're seeing real things happening, but it's not necessarily something that's happening everywhere. I feel like I would enjoy that. Yeah. that I sort of wonder if that's why they did Salt Lake, because I was wondering why 
why I felt like, and if they saw some of like the tone of the other shows changing and they, because that's so different than the tones of, of previous cities. It's also the first multicultural cast. They've never had like a truly multicultural cast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think Utah had that. Well, exactly. (laughs) And so, and they talk about that, you know, it's it's fascinating. I, I yeah, I've gotten some, some texts from friends being like, you need to watch it. It's so good. And I just haven't had a chance, but I will. It, ha- it reminds me of that like um, SNL skit with Stefan where it's like, it has everything. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> midgets. And, you know, like, but I feel like it has everything. And I feel like the future of Housewives is finding niche areas of yeah. the US or of the world that just have unique circumstances that are almost tucked away from the rest of society yeah. and they have their own social code that none mm-hmm. of us understand, but that they are trying to figure out how they live up to. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way for it to go. And I think that that in its essence was almost what the housewife started as. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to like Orange County and they were in these gated communities and what this was. And then from each city had its own social code. I just think that it, they've gotten much bigger. Then that, right. the shows and have then gotten bigger. And I think we've been with these women for a long time. Code. Yeah. But yeah. the social code in Utah is so much more fascinating to I me bet. than yes. like what I imagine the Dallas social code or the Beverly Hills. Like we oh know what the Beverly yeah. Hills code is, you know? Yeah. You're skinny and have to work in entertainment and have to have money and wear certain brands and right. drive certain right. cars. Like that's it. <laughs> like there's no more and there is no less. And I feel like we've seen it all. And well, I was going to say, I almost feel like that's a social code. We're all kind of like familiar with. Yes, exactly. Like whether or not we live in, like we're like, okay, I get it. I get it. So yeah. it's nice to like, what are these rules? What, you know, what is this about? What's, what's different? What's interesting? Um, that sounds very fascinating. Yeah. I think it's cool. It's also interesting to watch them live in like winter all the time. You know, and there'd be mountains and go skiing for fun. It's just a different dynamic than yeah. what we're used to seeing on these shows. Yeah, no, that sounds great. My a friend of mine just moved to Salt Lake, actually. And in San Diego, everyone, like, goes surfing on, you know, lunch breaks and stuff like that and after school and everything. And so she said it's basically the same thing, but with snow. Oh, with snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's I like, I just that. swapped it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on, Alyssa. Thank I you, really Andy. appreciate it. Where can people find you, find any writings that you've done? Um, I have or... a website, alyssamassmft.com. Uh, you can email me for there or um, there's a phone number on there. You can call me. Uh, you can any Bravo related questions as well. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for doing this. This was so fun. I feel like I need to uh, go watch a million more seasons and like rewatch <laughs> Beverly Hills and Taylor right now. And um, yeah, I feel like I just need to do like a more thorough dive on all of this. I thought I had a good analysis going, but I don't know. No, I think you do have a good analysis. It's just now with, you know, the lack of (laughs) things to do, it's (laughs) also fun to go back and watch like a decade ago and to see what's changed, what's the same. And um, it does feel much more of an escape than watching the more um, modern seasons for me. Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna have to try that. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like some of the dark ones I don't know. I'm like, oh, they're just so dark and intense. But 
I feel like Atlanta is one you should definitely get into. I need to, you know, I started watching Atlanta when I was, I had a really bad pregnancy and I started watching Atlanta and then it got like too sick and had a baby and moved. So I stopped like during that time yeah. period. And so now like, I was like, I need to get, now we're like moved and settled. So I need to get back. Cause that's also an interesting social code. Cause it was like a lot of sort of yeah. new money and black women. My, I actually almost moving moved to Atlanta. Up. And so I'm like very fascinated by Atlanta in general. Which is why I want to watch it. Yeah. Um, Cause I haven't spent much time in that part of the country. So going out there and visiting was really interesting and thinking I was moving there. So um, yeah, I got to get, I got to get back. Atlanta and Potomac are like tops on my list. Oh, Potomac is, I mean, that's my absolute favorite. That's I just, yeah, I have a couple of friends who are like, how have you not watched I like all the women. I like them. That sounds nice. I can't imagine what that's like to watch Even the if where you like they're them. problematic or do problematic things or make really poor decisions. I still am rooting for all of them. Like all of them. What do you think would be the first housewives city to like end? To like have a final season and not renewed, like of these big ones. Feel like the OC. Yeah. We just, it's been played out. There is nothing left. There is nothing behind the gates that we don't know about. And in particular, they're just not as interesting, even though they have like interesting situations with their new relationships, divorces, all of that. None of it is that unique to being in Orange County. So like that could happen anywhere. Whereas Beverly Hills couldn't be filmed anywhere. You know, I would say even Potomac couldn't be filmed anywhere. They, they are finding more ways to bring in DC culture and go-go music. And they have a political commentator who's now a housewife, who's a professor at Johns Hopkins. And like, it's just, wow. um, Yeah, the OC, I feel like, has run its course. I also am shocked that Dallas got picked up again, but I'm Uh wondering if it's not as expensive to produce. Oh. I don't know why. It just doesn't seem as... um, Although I heard, I feel like people who watch Dallas are very, like, die hard into it. I really liked it, but then last season there was a situation where um, it just got really nasty with this one woman who was the kind of, like queen bee on the show she didn't have anything anyone wanted right but she was presented as like the main character and she was a fan favorite and that's another thing that i think people um don't always factor into these shows Mm -hmm. but now with social media followings there are fan favorites yeah even if everyone what like even if the other housewives can't stand monique a lot of people like yeah, yeah, that is an interesting piece to it, I think, in terms of who stays on and, and who doesn't. And so to have the fan favorite on Dallas um, call this woman a chirpy Mexican, <laughs> then it just was really nasty. And then wow. deny and deny and deny and give all these reasons that she's not racist. It was just like, c- c- come on, you know? And it wasn't fun to watch. And then she's no longer on. That's what I mean. It's like, I don't want to watch stuff like that. Right. But it wasn't like Like, that until it was. Right? Like, I didn't know that that was coming when the season started. Right. Right. Of course. You know, so. Yeah. (sighs) Well, it was lovely chatting with you. It was lovely chatting with you, too. I I feel like now I just want to ask you a hundred more questions about (laughs) Bravo, thoughts, and ideas. But... 
I will let you go. Yeah, everyone check out Alyssa's website. And if you are in San Diego and are looking for a psychotherapist, you should hit her up. I also. do telehealth too now. Ooh, that's yep. actually, that's really I actually important. only do telehealth now, I will say. Yeah. Hey, everyone needs therapy. There you go. <laughs> Have a good one. You too. Also, you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.